once again, I have uh, the special privilege of having Dr. King and Nancy here with us today. For those of you that don't know the backstory, uh, some of you do, but some of you newer ones may not. So uh, Donna and I were at a conference in Branson, Missouri. And uh, we were staying in a little resort area there, and I went to have a workout down at their gym area. And as I was zipping up my jacket to leave after uh, my workout was over, I saw this very distinguished-looking gentleman on the treadmill. And the treadmill began to malfunction and began to run away with him. So I thought, I'm going to see if I can help out here. So uh, I said, may I help you? And then we struck up a conversation, and we spent the next three hours together. And uh, we met together again the next morning for uh, another two hours and just really hit it off. And this was a divine appointment, and we've been connected ever since. So uh, this is uh, definitely a divine appointment because he's become a spiritual mentor to me. I consider him my spiritual overseer. And once in a while, I like to bring in Dr. King, not only for ministry purposes, but also uh, to speak into my life and have some private one-on-one time together. But also, I want you to know who I answer to and who uh, is a spiritual overseer to me. So I always uh, get a kick out of when he comes and, and I get to introduce you to him. So Dr. King, would you come? Let me pray once again. I know we've prayed already, but let me pray over you one more time, sir. Father, thank you so much for my friend, my mentor, my overseer, and this man that you have put in my life, this father in my faith. And uh, as we turn it over to him now, Lord, we're actually turning it over to you because he's simply your vessel. So as he stands before us I, and as he opens his mouth, I pray that you would fill it, Lord, with words of life, words that come directly from your throne. As I often pray over myself, Lord, before I preach, I pray over him as well, that, that um, Jerry, as much as we love him, Dr. King, that he would decrease, Lord, that you would increase because no one's really here to hear from a man. We're here to hear from you. And uh, you use your vessels to do that. So Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, your anointing would be upon him, that it would even increase today beyond where it's been before, and that uh, he would be able to um, just hear from heaven today and uh, give us a word from the Lord that's uh, uh, perfect for this congregation in this season of time. Uh, a word in due season. And I pray that as that word goes forth, that it would not return void, but it would accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. It would hit its bullseye and produce a harvest of righteousness in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Am I to assume that I'm on? I must be by now. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It's always a pleasure to be with your pastor and his wife and occasionally part of his family and then the rest of you who are extended family at every moment that we've been here. God does everything he does through relationships. Everything. It was a shock to me to learn that God really doesn't do anything that does not include relationships. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of speaking in a church over whom I had some leadership responsibility at that time. There was a family in that church that were among the leading participants there and in that city. 
The man was a very prominent businessman involved in construction of roads throughout that part of the world and had done extraordinarily well. He had six children that walked in services and sat with their mother, normally right over there on the first two rows. They always dressed distinctively. It was as though they were saying, I want everybody here to know who we are. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not so good. Would you all agree with me? It can be either. That man and that woman came to us after they had heard us talk about the bruise of Satan. Do you all understand that concept? We teach that every one of us in the process of our growing up experienced relationship with someone that opened up our hearts and bruised us as they were directed by the other kingdom. Do you all understand what I'm saying? In the church where we are a part and where we attend when we're home, I will be sitting beside our bishop And when someone walks in the front door and we don't know them, I will often lean over to the bishop and say, I wonder what problem they're bringing us this time. Do you all understand what I just did and why I did it? We don't have anybody that comes to see us who does not have problems. We don't have anyone that I've ever met who does not have problems. But that little lady had an incredible amount of spiritual pride, but she sensed some of the wounds that were in her. And she asked for an appointment to see the pastor and me. And we set that appointment And she met with the pastor and asked him some questions and she did not like the answer he gave her. And she got up and walked out and as far as I know in the ensuing years, neither she nor her husband nor any of her six children have entered again into that church. How many of you think that indicated that there might have been some severe bruising from the other kingdom at some time in her life? Now, it's extremely interesting to me that I read in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10 and verse number 25, a verse that many of us can quote, but most of us don't know how important it is. Do you remember that the word says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together like some people do, but you come together and do it the more as you see that day approaching. How many of you remember that? The word of God is clear that there is something that we need from each other that we are never going to receive independently. Do you understand what I'm saying? That little lady got up and left. And with her spiritual pride, that's what she would have said, because here's what she said. I'm going to tell you, I don't need any help from 
you, pastor, or from this visitor. I don't need any help. All I need is my Bible, my prayer closet, my tablet, and my pen, and the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. How many of you all have ever run into people like that? That's all I need. Just let me get in my closet. Is that an, not an affront to our Lord? How many of you believe that's an affront to what he said? How many of you believe it's a rebellious statement that says that Jesus is Lord, but I reserve my right to obey the part of his commandment that I like. Come on, is that not true? Now that is one of the characteristics that I see in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America today. But I don't just see that in the church. I see that as the outgrowth of rebellion that took place probably before our forefathers left Great Britain and other, other European countries and came to the United States to assert that they did not need spiritual authority in their lives. Would you all agree with that? Does that make sense to you? It's an assertion of spiritual independence. Now, I'm an old man. All of you can conclude that just by looking at me. In a few days, I will be 85 years old. I have had the joy of being with this little girl that God chose as the other part of me for almost 66 years. Of course, you all know that means I must... You all know that means I must have married her when she was three. <laughs> but she has been the other part of me and will always, God be blessed and God give us what we pray for, she will be the part of me that will be most important for the rest of my life. I delight in riding down the road with her, reaching over and putting my hand on her knee and saying, I am the most blessed man in the world when I see the person that God chose to be the other part of me for the rest of my life. And I feel that way about her today. I need that little girl. How many of you believe I need her? Really, do you believe I need her? I not only need her, I want her, and when I don't have her with me, a very significant part of me is not present. Now, I feel that way about other people that God has joined to my life. What God has done is to organize His church in a way that your pastor has alluded to here already in this service today. I will never forget the day that this gentleman walked in. I'm sitting near the entrance to, to the gym that day, and it was a little bit like 
we experienced at the hotel this morning. We left Texas yesterday and it was warm. We opened or someone opened the door of the hotel and there was a wind that blew in and we discovered there had been a major change that had taken place in our immediate circumstances within the hours that we had occupied a comfortable bed in that hotel last night. I mean to tell you, it was a marked change. Do you all believe that? But the truth of the matter is, I learned that I need her, but I also need others whom God has joined to me. Do you believe that? Now, here's one of the questions that I was asked. In the church that we worship in, in Texas most frequently, we are a little bit more liturgical than your church is which means that those of us who are occupying leadership for that day may be wearing a little more formal clothing than you see me wearing today. Do you get that? Well, I had a man ask me one day. He said, why do you guys do that? And I said, well, may I ask you a question? May I ask you all that question? Will you answer it honestly with me? How many of you believe the Bible is God's Word? How many of you believe that since it's God's Word, God has the right through that Word to instruct you and me? How many of you believe that? Do you believe you have the right sometimes to have your person violated just a little bit by the way God gives His Word to us? How many of you believe that? Is there anybody beside me who has ever said to God, God, I wish you would give me the right to edit this part. Come on, how many of you have ever said that, God? I mean, I think I could improve on this verse in my day, in my time. But the question is, does God have the right to tell me what to do? Do you really believe he does? So they said, so you wear that robe sometime? I said, yes. And they said, why did you do that? I said, I'm going to ask you, does God have the right to tell me what to do? I said, yes. Does he have the right to tell a priest what to do when he approaches the altar? Does he have the right to do it? And then I said, well, he did. And that's the only answer I need to give you. Did y'all get it? He did. So since he did, I'm obedient to the best of my ability. As a matter of fact, I told you I'm about to be 85 years old in a few days. And would I surprise you if I told you that the age of 85, I am still learning. Would I surprise you if I told you that at that age, I'm at the fastest learning curve of my life? Would I surprise you if I told you that? Would I then surprise you if I told you that that means that I'm wrong about some things? Come on, how many of you believe that's the conclusion you'd reach to that? I'm wrong about some things. Now may I give you the conclusion that follows that. 
I don't know what I'm wrong about today. If I did, I'd change it today. How many of y'all believe that? Really, would you? And my life proves that because I'm still in the process of changing. Now that's what I have discovered about God, His Word, and His instructions to me from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. One of the books that God has led me to during the last few days, as a matter of fact, I will tell you that I was awakened by the Holy Spirit by the fact that I was about to have to come from Texas to this beautiful part of God's earth for the service today. And I awakened and I couldn't go back to sleep at midnight. So. That means I was up. So after a little while, when I discovered that he wasn't going to let me go back to bed anyway, I got up and went to my office and grabbed my Bible and spent the rest of the morning reading from the book of Jeremiah because that's what God directed me to. And in reading the book of Jeremiah, I found so much of God's Word that I didn't like. Really, I found so much of it I just didn't like. Now, I didn't tell you I didn't agree with it. I just told you I didn't like it because I found so many places in there that God said, I spoke to your fathers while they were in the desert. I spoke to them when I gave them the law and I have sent the law and the prophets to instruct my people about how I want them to live and I, what I want them to do. And then as I read it, he said over and over, but these are a stiff-necked people and they have chosen to do what they want even though my word is clear about what I want. Y'all get it? Come on, the word is clear about what I want. Now I told you all a while ago that this girl over here of all the people that God made, I like her better than I like anybody else in the world. I really do. She's my favorite person in the whole world. But how many of you are married? Let me see all you, all you married people. How many of you married people know that the devil sometimes before you get out of bed in the morning has already begun to make plans to make you get a little bit annoyed at the person you sleep with. Come on, how many of you will admit that the devil does that to you every now and then? You know, if there's one word that the, that the devil hates, would y'all like to know the word the devil hates worst? It's intimacy. Did y'all get that? He hates intimacy because the devil knows instantly that if he can make me annoyed at Nancy and I'm called on to confront his kingdom, I am weak before I start doing battle with his kingdom if I'm out of sorts with Nancy. How many of y'all believe that's true? Really, come on, how many of you believe it? 
Doesn't your Bible say that? Now, may I quote some scripture that proves it? James chapter number four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He didn't say, do you never have one? Heard about one old preacher that said he and his wife had never had a fight or a quarrel. But when pressed, he admitted that the neighbor that lived two blocks away had heard them reasoning together on occasion. Well, how many of you believe that if Nancy and I are doing some of our, quote, reasoning together, that that affects my intimacy with her? How many of you are aware of the fact that that means that one or both of us is likely to spend almost all the ensuing day defending our rights and insisting that our spouse was Wrong. Now I want y'all to help me with this. Whether you're right or wrong about it, how many of you have learned that if you respond to that spouse that way, that your intimacy with God 100% of the time is lessened? Come on, how many of you believe that? Do you believe it's lessened? I've discovered that if I'm not treating Nancy right and I pray, my prayers might get as high as the ceiling and bounce back and hit me in the face. Do you all believe that one? Okay, so the devil hates the thought of intimacy. Are you all hearing me? There is never any time the devil is more afraid of me And Nancy and I have had the privilege of casting out demons over a substantial portion of this world. But there is no time the devil is more afraid of, more not afraid of me than when I have agreed with him about whatever it is. Even if I'm right. Y'all get it? Come on, come on, everybody say, even if I'm right. How many of you know so many of us Christians would rather be right than intimate with our spouse? Come on, am I telling you the truth? I mean, it just is the truth. Now that's the kind of thing that Jeremiah starts talking to God's people about. And when he's talking to God's people, he gives them lists of things that have offended their walk with God. Y'all get what I'm saying? A whole list. He does things that kind of offend me because you see, I still like to justify myself. Anybody beside me like to justify yourself? I mean, I just it's more comfortable to justify myself than to admit I've been wrong. Is that not true? Just a lot more comfortable. Now here, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James 4.1 Do they not come from your desires that do battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. You kill, you covet, you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God and when you do ask Him, 
You ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it with your own de- on your own desires. How many of you remember reading that in the book of James? If you haven't, you need to get acquainted with that chapter. Now, I'm going to embarrass you now. Promise you. If you all will be honest with me, I'm going to embarrass more than 50% of the people that are here. Because here is my question. How many of you all know what the next words are that follow that in James 4? I saw one hand go up. That was Nancy's because she's heard me preach this a few times. Y'all get it? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Your desires that do battle within you. You want something, you don't get it. You kill, you covet, you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask Him, you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your own desires. Here's the next words. You adulterers! Now how many of you knew what that was? Y'all get it? How many of you knew that God sees an argument between Nancy and me. Now, how many of you all believe that Nancy is a part of the bride of Christ? Really, how many of you believe? I mean, God gave me the best woman He had. And none of you all can debate me because we're probably the two oldest people here. Y'all hear what I'm saying to you. But God gave me His best one. But here's what the Bible says. Since we're the bride of Christ, God sees any sin. Come on, everybody say, any sin. Is it a sin for me to have a fight with Nancy? Can I likely get by with sinning like battling Nancy and not sinning? Y'all want want to hear me on that one? How many of you think I have a chance? Not a very big one. Because if I have a fight with Nancy, my communion with God, here's what it does. How many of y'all believe that? I mean, why do you think David in Psalm 51 cried out to God, against you and against you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight? How many of you believe that was the truth? David had to cry out to God and say, Oh God, don't take Your Holy Spirit from me. I can't live without Your presence. I've got to have You. Lord, if You will correct what needs to be corrected in me and get our relationship of intimacy repaired. If you'll do that, I'll tell all these people in Israel what a rascal I've been and what a failure I've been. I'll do that. Just tell me. Let's get it fixed between you and me. Is there anybody beside me who has ever missed God's presence to the point that you came to the place that didn't make difference what you had to say. You said, God, i got to get this fixed between you and me because I can't stand to live like this. Are you all hearing me? All right, Jeremiah over and over said to God, I've told these people what you've told me to tell you. 
And they simply continue living worse. I've told them, told them, told them, told them. And they don't repent. He said, I even gave Israel a writing of divorcement. He said, the reason I gave her that writing of divorcement was because of all her adulteries. That didn't mean she was out physically sleeping with other people, but it meant she was sinning. And what did God call it? Come on, everybody tell me. What did God call it? Calls it adultery. I don't like that. Do y'all? Anybody want want the right to kind of edit that for God? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'd like to edit that. But do you know what he says then? In the seventh chapter of the book of Jeremiah, he finally gets to it. And God says to Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. How many of you remember reading it? Just don't do it anymore. Stop praying for them. He was saying in essence, they don't change anything. Come on, is that what he was saying? So since they're continually violating my law, I'm going to bring the judgment I've planned on them. Okay, Jeremiah was a stubborn man. It's one of the few places in the Bible that I have to applaud being stubborn. Because Jeremiah didn't stop praying. God said, don't pray for them anymore. And he kept on, oh God. Chapter 11, he says to it again, I'm getting tired of this, Jeremiah. Quit praying for these people. I'm going to judge them. Jeremiah keeps praying for them. Every day he prays for them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to me? That old boy's got pleasing God in his heart. How many of you believe he does? So even though God says that to him, he keeps on pursuing it. Finally, he gets over to chapter number 15. And if you will allow me the privilege of doing just a little king translation on this one. He says to Jeremiah, now it's God speaking. Come on, everybody say, who's talking? God's talking? Does he have the right to talk to us? To you? To me? Does he have the right to put his finger in the place in me that makes me uncomfortable? Does he do that? The answer is yes, he does, I'll tell you. Even though I'm about 85. He said, now, Jeremiah, buddy, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that this is not personal between you and me. I'm not telling you to stop praying like this because I'm mad at you. But I am going to tell you that I have my mind made up. He said, even if you had Moses and Elijah standing each one on one side of you and 
helping you pray for these people. If you had the three of you, it wouldn't make any difference. That's in chapter number 15. Finally, finally, and I'm glad I can get to finally here with you all today. Anybody ready for some good news instead of all this tough, bad, mean news? Anybody ready to hear something that's not so painful? Anybody beside me want the presence of God more than you want to keep your pain, your sin, your pride, your rebellion? Anybody beside me want God more than you want those things? So God says to Jeremiah, come on and I'm going to take you on a walk. He said, we're going over to the potter's house. And when they got to the potter's house, the potter had his wheel out and some of the finest clay that he could find to make vessels that brought him pleasure. And the potter was making a vessel. And the Word doesn't tell us what caused his hand to slip or his foot to slip or whether it was just imperfect mud. But something happened that marred the clay vessel that was in his hand. And God said the potter crushed it. Are you hearing what God did? What did He do? Crushed it. May I ask you, is there anybody listening to me today that's ever felt the crushing hand of God? Come on, have you, have you, have you welcomed it? Really, are we welcoming it? See, that's what God's trying to do to our nation today. Are y'all listening to me? Are you hearing me? God is saying to churches all across America today, I'm going to have to crush you to bring you to the place of repentance so that I can bring the healing to this nation that I want to bring her so that I can bless her. One of my favorite songs through the years as I've grown up are God bless America. The land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with your light from above. Nancy and I, well, I guess I've been to a few more than she has, but I've been to more than 75 nations doing ministry. Haven't ever been to a nation that when I come home, I don't want to get off the airplane and kiss the land. Are you all hearing me? God bless America. If you walked into my office, as there's, there's a little hallway there, and on the wall in that little hallway is a picture that I got from a portrayal that had been given from U.S. News and World Report about 25 years ago. It was a picture of the Continental Congress while they were working on building our Constitution. Is there anybody beside me who thanks God for our Constitution? 
Is there anybody beside me who believes that there is a force in our world today that is trying to destroy the document that is the strongest document to bring a nation to God that's ever been made by man's hand? Are y'all hearing me? You walk outside this door and you're going to find people that hate everything that the book of Jeremiah says that God loves. Are y'all hearing me? It's here in your town. It's in my town. But on that picture, it's the portrayal of the men that were delegated to write our Constitution. And they had come up to a barrier they could go no further. And somebody was wise. How many of you would like to know what the wise man there said? He said, gentlemen, we're not getting anywhere. Can we dedicate three days to fasting and praying? How many of you think that might have been a good idea, folks? Come on, do you believe it might have been a good idea? And I've got a picture of those old men some of them with their white powdered wigs. We've got a picture of those men on their faces before God. And they stayed there for three days and three nights seeking after God. And when they got up off their needs, they wrote the Constitution of the United States of America. And I will not make a claim for you that it is biblically inspired, but I will tell you that the hand of God was involved in what happened in having our nation formed. And I want you to know that there is a force today that is dedicated to destroying everything I believe. And so many of them are doing what Jeremiah said they were doing. They were bowing their knees to other gods and they were doing the things that God hated and claiming they were doing it to please God. Are y'all hearing me? Are you hearing me? All right. Jeremiah watched as the potter crushed that vessel. And he took that clay and he started working all over again. And he took that marred clay. Now the reason I'm so glad, so glad that God took the marred clay and didn't throw it on the pile of discard is because God found this marred clay. Are y'all hearing me? Come on, are you hearing me? I often walk by the mirror in my house and I look into it and I say, Oh God, if you can use this marred piece of humanity, you can use anybody. My daughter who is now recently retired from being a school counselor and she's a godly woman. 
came up to her daddy the other day. Well, it's been a few months now. And she said, Daddy, of all the men that I know, you're the one that's most like Jesus. And I broke and cried like a baby because I knew that she didn't know me like I knew me and like God knows me. Are y'all hearing me? But if God can use this, are there any of the rest of us that he can reach in there and straighten up those marred pieces or start over and make what he wants out of people like us? Come on, do you think God can do that to us? Do you think he wills to do it? Do we agree with him and say, God, we want you to do that? Well, God, God made the new vessel and it was a piece of art, or the potter made it, it was a piece of art. And then here's what God said to Jeremiah. And that's what I hear him saying to me today and to y'all. Are y'all hearing me? That's what God's had me awake working on me for these hours, starting with at least midnight last night before last. God said, now, Jeremiah, for the first time in your life, I'm going to expose my heart to you. How many of you would like God to expose his heart to you? Really, would you? Do you want to know the heart of God? He said, I want to tell you what I'm like. He said, Jeremiah, if I have said to somebody, you've sinned and you've violated my law, and I'm going to destroy you, if that person throws themselves before me in repentance and turns away from their sin and gives themselves to me for the fulfillment of my purpose in their lives. If they'll do that, I'm going to remove the curse that I put on them and I'm going to put my blessings upon them. And when Jerry King looks in the mirror, that's what I ask God to do. Oh God, make me like you so that you can put your spirit in power and I operation in my life. Anybody beside me want that? Come on, do you want that? Then God said to Jeremiah, it's not the end of my message. If I promised I was going to bless you and you do what this nation has done and you turn away from me, I'm a country preacher's kid. My daddy was preaching. I don't know, he said I was preaching when I was five and I haven't ever stopped. And my daddy was preaching before then. But my daddy used to say, if God does not bring judgment on America, he's gonna have to repent to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I almost say that about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you one place 
Pastors told me he's going to let me come back and preach to you again before long, so I may meddle with you a little bit more in this. God said, I'm not going to let you get by with it either. And God gave specific instructions to us. May I tell you one of the things I heard God say aloud to me a few years ago? Are you willing to hear the Word of God even though it makes you uncomfortable? God said to me, the church lost her way in the 12th century. I didn't have any idea what He was saying to me. I had to learn some history of the church. And when he said what we had done that so violated him, it broke my heart. Because by that time I had built Pastor a library of over 10,000 volumes. And in my library of 10,000 plus volumes, I had learned how to manipulate God's people to come to the altar when I preached to them. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Really, did you hear what I'm saying? I got pretty good at manipulating people. But God said, there's no place in the Word that I have authorized you to prepare people to go to heaven. That's what He said. There's no place in the Bible that I've authorized you to spend your time keeping people out of hell. There's no place in my word that I've told you how to make your lives comfortable as you serve me. He said, what I've told you to do is to build an army that has one purpose. And that purpose is to take the usurping, thieving ruler of this planet away from him and return it to its rightful owner. Y'all hearing me? How many of you remember in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, Word of God says that this priest, talking about Jesus, when he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, went back to heaven. I can picture him taking the, the chalice and pouring the offering of his blood that makes it possible for Jerry King to be one of those people you talked about earlier today, Pastor, so that we can be a, a representative of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I could do that. And he said, when I do that, he would make it possible for me to do what the 110th Psalm says, where it says, the Lord says to my Lord, Yahweh says to Adonai, you sit at my right hand until I make a footstool for your feet. And when I make a footstool for your feet, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to put my sword in the hand of Zion. Zion is the people of God, the church of God. And the purpose for which we're saved is to crush the devil under our feet and take this planet away from the devil and return it to our Lord. Our first fathers came from Europe over here. They dedicated themselves 
to finding the heart of God and building a nation where the purpose of God could be fulfilled. I have a lot of people that are going to stand before God when I stand there with Him. And they're going to point their finger at me and they're going to say, this man lied to me and told me that my purpose was to repent. Say, God, forgive me. And that's all I had to do and I could go to heaven. I did not know that I was called by God to be a devil crusher. Come on, how many of you know that's the reason you're saved? Come on, did you know it? You're not saved to go to heaven. We are saved to take the sword of the Spirit and to march in the name of the Lord until the devil becomes sorry he picked a fight with this part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as we stand in power against the devil. See, God just tells us I didn't make any other plan than the one I have. Jesus hanging on the cross just before He gave up His Spirit from His body said it's finished. In other words, I've done everything I could do. I've finished the purpose for which I came. And that's when He came back and the Bible says He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And if you'll read it in the 12th chapter, excuse me, the 10th chapter of the book of of Hebrews, it says, since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. And I'm about to hush. I want you to say this. I'm called by God to crush his enemy under my feet. And that's why the Holy Spirit lives in me. And that's what the purpose of the church is. Are y'all hearing my heart? When I see the election day coming, I can't tell you how much tension and pain there is in my spirit. It's almost day and night I find myself crying out, God, bless America. And then I hear the Holy Spirit say, bring us to repentance so you can bless us. Because the Word says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And that's a promise I want to claim from our Lord for us today. And here's what I say. Here's what I say. I have no choice but to renew this vow over and over. And that is, Lord, I'm a volunteer. Send me. I want to be one of your choice devil crushers because you called me and put your spirit within me. Anybody else want to volunteer to do that? Come on. Do we want to do that? How many of you are glad God didn't give up on us? Really, how many of you are glad? Lord, I thank you because you have not dealt with me according to my iniquities, but according to your loving kindness and your mercies are fresh. 
every morning. Pastor. There was a lot there, wasn't there? <laughs> Hallelujah. A mandate for us personally, a reminder of what this part of what this church is all about, which is being involved in the community and in society and advancing God's kingdom in the earth so that the onslaught of evil that we have seen overtake this nation would be thwarted and that we can begin to advance God's kingdom. Amen? And that takes a personal commitment, folks. That takes a personal commitment to walk yourself with the Lord, to keep yourself consecrated to him so that, look, uh, one of the things that I thought about uh, during that message is that, you know what, it's difficult to resist the kingdom of darkness when you're giving into it all the time. So we need to be people that are walking with the Lord in close fellowship, in close relationship with him so that we can be equipped to advance his kingdom in the earth, decimate our Lord's enemy's kingdom. And that's going to take you and me just loving the Lord and being committed to his house, just like Dr. King was saying earlier. I appreciate you so much um, speaking to that because that's something that I've talked about ad nauseum in this church, is honoring the things of God. Just honor the things of God. And we're so flippant about the church sometimes, so flippant about the things of God. Oh, I cherry-pick the Bible, cherry-pick this and that. I'll take what I like and leave the rest. And Well, you got me fired up a little bit. I'm, I'm about ready to preach part two right now to that teaching. So I better not do that. I better not do that. But this was so good, brother. Thank you so much for what you shared today. Yes, give the Lord and Dr. King a hand.